Hello and welcome to the Deeply Rooted Podcast. We are here to root deep together in God's Word so that we can live lives of unshakable faith. My name is Ben Jacobson. I am one of the pastors at Hope Lutheran Church in Fargo, North Dakota, and I am joined today by my colleague, Pastor Paul Ninus. Welcome, Pastor Paul. Hey, thanks, Pastor Ben. <laughs> Sounds reverend, very official, doesn't reverend it? Reverend Jacobson. The most reverend. No. Uh, you yes. Can, you can call me Paul. It is good to be here. Well, you can call me Ben. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, so, Paul, question. We've been, over these past weeks, we've been diving into Scripture. We've been immersing ourselves in it, reading the stories, seeing how they all fit together, how they all fit in this grand theme of, of God's redemption of the world. And I have loved to read these stories, love to spend this time in Scripture. And I'm wondering, for you, why is it that you love to read Scripture? I think, for, you know, for a long time, the task of reading Scripture was a task. And it was something I felt I had to do. But as I've grown in intimacy with the Trinity, with Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, with God through prayer... I found that um, you know that Scripture does become, as Psalm one says, a, a delight um, and a blessing for our lives, and it's just a way for me to have a conversation with God, my best friend, hmm. every day. Uh, there, there are times where it's still, you know, it's hard. I get, I try to wake up early, read Scripture, um, but uh, you know when I miss that. I really miss it uh, because these these are the words as as Peter you know said to Jesus you know you have the words of eternal life these are words of life. Did you begin your day each day with scripture? That is that is what I work at. I have seasons when I'm better at it, mm -hmm. seasons that I'm not. I'm in a season currently where yep, six a.m. I'm up. First thing is my Bible. Yeah, I have found for me the if you break the pattern, it breaks pretty quickly. Yep. But when you do it, boy, is there life there. Yep. There is life there. I'm trying to envision it as a cement footing hmm. in my day. That's just kind of a non-negotiable yeah. in terms of my time because God needs to be first. Yep. Yep. Well, we'll make it part of today. That's for sure. All right. And for those of you listening, we're going to continue in the book of Exodus. Uh, we are going to read from chapter 6. We're, we're going to cover kind of a large section of Scripture. We're going to read uh, a few verses from chapter 6, but really where our focus is today is, is chapters 5 through 12. But I'm going to read from the NIV, chapter 6, verses 1 through 10. Then the Lord said to Moses, now you will see what I do to Pharaoh. Because of my mighty hand, he will let them go. Because of my mighty hand, he will drive them out of this country. God also said to Moses, I am the Lord. I appeared to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob as God Almighty. But by my name, the Lord. I did not make myself fully known to them. I also established my covenant with them to give them the land of Canaan, where they resided as foreigners. Moreover, 
I have heard the groaning of the Israelites, whom the Egyptians are enslaving, and I have remembered my covenant. Therefore say to the Israelites, I am the Lord, and I will bring you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians. I will free you from being slaves to them, and I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with mighty acts of judgment. I will take you as my own people, and I will be your God. Then you will know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the yoke of the Egyptians, and I will bring you to the land I swore with uplifted hand to give to Abraham, to Isaac, and to Jacob. I will give it to you as a possession. I am the Lord. Moses reported this to the Israelites, but they did not listen to him because of their discouragement and harsh labor. Then the Lord said to Moses, Go, tell Pharaoh, king of Egypt, to let the Israelites go out of his country. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Thanks be to God. Well, this is, uh, this is a section of, of Scripture here where I, I see once again we have God foretelling what is about to happen. Um, what are things, Paul, as you heard this read, that you noticed? Yeah, so let me give a, a quick synopsis. So we're, sure. we're covering today Exodus 5 through 12. You just read from Exodus 6, which is God remembering his covenant. His covenant promise, he began with Abraham, saying, I'm going to be your God you will be my people. He's remembering, I've promised you this promised land. I, I've promised this through Abraham uh, that you will be my people. And, and I am the Lord, I am faithful. Moses gave that name Yahweh, I am. I was who I was, I am who I am, I will be who will I will be. Uh, now we see uh, God say, I am the Lord, Adonai. Uh, Adonai would have been a word that they would have used as a Lord. We also see uh, in this tense that we, we see good God Almighty, the Lord Almighty, mm-hmm. El Shaddai. So we see different names for the same God. The reason for that was that the, the Hebrew people, Yahweh, that name, yod heh that Moses was given was so sacred to them, they dare not even utter it. I think Mike said that last week, and, and it's just important to remember. Uh, so the Lord Adonai, El Shaddai, good God Almighty, is going to save them with their outstretched arms. Here's how it happens. Moses and Aaron, they go to Pharaoh, chapter 5, and they, and they say to Pharaoh, the Lord God has sent us. I'm sure Pharaoh's like, Moses, why are you here? He knows who Moses is. And he's angry. Moses says, set my people free. Let God's people go. And Pharaoh's response is basically to become even crueler. He says, I'm not going to let them go. Are you kidding? He says, take away their straw. Remember, they make bricks for a living. Mm-hmm. Bricks out of mud, clay, and straw in water. And now he, he demands that they make their output even more and takes away their straw, their ability to, to do that. And so they're treated even more harshly. It's probably a, a, a tactic, right? He doesn't want Moses and Aaron to become uprisers for the people. He wants them to, the people to hate them. And, and the result of the end of chapter 5 is that the people are frustrated. The people, too, now, they're, they're questioning Moses. They're saying, you know, God's going to deliver us? You've showed up to, to claim this. You've only made things worse for us. Sure. So they thought, Moses is here. Yay. We're going to be free. 
mm-hmm. and it doesn't happen right away. Right. What do you think motivates the Pharaoh? Well, when you're in power, you try to stay in power. Yeah. Right? Sin in us, right? That that desire to do that. Uh, whatever hatred he had built up in terms of justifying his behaviors uh, throughout this world. He doesn't want to let go of, of the treasure that he has, even though it's correct. Not <laughs> probably not yeah, the I treasure mean, that the, he needs. Probably the ultimate sense of entitlement. This this man doesn't just think that he deserves it. He thinks he's divine. Hmm. Right, that it's rightfully his because of his birthright. Uh, and Moses is just a threat to that, a nuisance uh, that he needs to squash. So, and so God gives his covenant, chapter 6, what you just read. And then God does this through his outstretched arm. Moses enters at this time where he comes back to Pharaoh with the plagues. And there's 10 of them. Starts with turning the Nile River into blood. Then he, the magicians recreate this. And it says Pharaoh's heart is hardened by God, which is an interesting thing. It is. Uh, that Pharaoh, even though he was rebellious, in response to this, God hardens his heart. That's an important thing I will touch on later. Uh, so he doesn't believe the blood. So that goes back. Then the next plague is frogs. Frogs come from the sky. There are frogs everywhere. It's insane. Could you imagine? That sounds horrible. <laughs> Worse than the blood, maybe. Yeah. And and then after the frogs, frogs, excuse me, frogs, frogs was gnats. And this one, uh, the magicians even say, this is the finger of God. Hmm. This this is God. We can't recreate this. So by the by the third plague, the the people that are working for Pharaoh are starting to see yep. this is God at work. Yep, yep. Uh, and and, the, and they can't repeat this. Then he sends flies. Uh, then it's death of livestock. Then it's boils. Then it's hail. Then it's locusts. Then it's darkness until we get to the final plague, which is the firstborn what we know uh, and what the Jewish people call the Passover. Some interesting thing about the plagues, and you can study this, is each plague matched uh, an Egyptian false god. Hmm. Each plague had a, a corresponding um, uh, Egyptian false god that, that Moses would have said, you know, God, the one god, the good god almighty, El Shaddai, is greater than all these false gods that you're relying on. And the, and the physical things that were manifested represented these false gods. So there's multiple things happening mm-hmm. here. But still, after all of this, Pharaoh's heart, after all the livestock are gone, uh, you know, after crops are devastated, think about the economic uh, people, pain and suffering that is going on in Egypt. And still, Pharaoh... His heart is hardened, and he will not let God's people go. So God is, through this, through these plagues, stripping away everything that the Pharaoh has. Not, not just the the economic situation, but he's 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 saying your gods are false. I'm yep. sure that that Pharaoh's people were looking to Pharaoh and saying, "Can you please make this stop? If you're if you're so powerful, so God is is pulling away at his sense of." righteousness, his sense of power, the pharaohs I'm, I'm talking about specifically mm-hmm. uh, through these plagues. So there is purpose 
in these plagues. It's not just like, it's not God just saying, oh, I'll try this. Oh, that didn't work. Let's send something else. Oh, God no. is, God is using these 10 uh, plagues for a very specific purpose. God's justice is not capricious. It's a big capricious meaning moody or because of, you know, God's an emotional God. No, it's intentional and it's to plan. Then we see this final plague. And the final plague is given with some instructions. The Jewish people are to go out and they're to grab a spotless lamb, a lamb without blemish on its skin. And they're to sacrifice that lamb in their household. They're also to prepare bread without yeast, bread that doesn't take time to rise. It's not going to be heavy to carry when they need to go. Bread of haste. And they're to eat this meal with their shoes on, their robe tied, ready to go. And they're to drain that lamb of its blood, and they're to take some of that blood, and they're to put it over the doorposts of their household. And what God says is that the, the, an angel, the angel of death, is going to go over, pass over in the middle of the night, and all the firstborn of Egypt, the firstborn of Pharaoh, all the firstborn children, and the firstborn of the lowest person, the firstborn of livestock, are going to die. But those who have the blood of the lamb covering uh, their home on the, the doorpost, the doorframe of their house, they will be spared during this time called Passover. And so they do. And the angel of death comes. And there's great sorrow in Egypt. And Pharaoh calls Moses and Aaron to him, and he says, go take your people. And, and what they're requesting, right, is to go out in the wilderness to offer a proper sacrifice to their God. Go take their people and flee. And then he says to Aaron and, 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 and Moses, make sure you bless me. Interestingly enough, nowhere in here does Pharaoh acknowledge God Almighty. Hmm. He asks for a blessing from Moses, but he doesn't acknowledge God Almighty. He doesn't in the beginning when Pharaoh comes, he says, who is your God? And even after he's seen all that he's seen, he still is not willing to acknowledge the one true God. And so God's people go. So I'm going to pick up the, at chapter 12, and this is verse 29, and it, it, I'll just read a few verses here. And this is about that final plague and that moment where where Pharaoh changes his mind about how he's going to do this. It says, At midnight the Lord struck down all the firstborn in Egypt, from the firstborn of Pharaoh, who sat on the throne, to the firstborn of the prisoner, who was in the dungeon, and the firstborn of all the livestock as well. Pharaoh and all of his officials and all the Egyptians got up during the night, and there was a loud wailing in Egypt, for there was not a house without someone dead. And then it continues, during the night, Pharaoh summoned Moses and Aaron and said, Up, leave my people, you and the Israelites. Go and worship the Lord as you have requested, which is just what you recounted. What is it, what is it that happens there that, that finally changes Pharaoh's mind, do you think? Well, uh, God, God's will. Hmm. God doesn't harden his heart again, right? He, he, he exacts his justice, and his justice is complete. You know, to understand this, I think the big question, we, we look at this and say, well, 
could God do this? Mm-hmm. How could God bring this these plagues? How could God have the angel of death and take the firstborn? And one of the things I think we need to, to think about is that God is both just and God is love. And God's justice and God's love are both God. They're both important. God's justice in the Old Testament is often enacted in this lifetime. Mm-hmm. Whereas in Jesus, we understand that our judgment awaits us when we die. And so what we see is that God is enacting justice against Pharaoh and the Egyptians for their sin. We need to remember that Pharaoh was the one that took firstborn. That's how Moses' story happened, that ordered the firstborn of the Israelites to die. Uh, we, we, we remember that the, God's people are in slavery for 400-plus years in bondage, forced labor, seven days a week. They're whipped, they're beaten. I'm sure they're, they're killed arbitrary. Uh, they're treated as less than human. We can imagine, well, we, we, we have recounted in every culture on the planet almost stories in our histories of slavery when people are enslaved by other group and the atrocities that happen. Mm-hmm. God hates slavery. Mm-hmm. It's a fundamental violation of our human freedom that he made us for. And now he's enacting his justice Mm -hmm. through his outstretched arms, through his power and might, through Moses, to set his people into freedom. So Paul, I think one of the things that's tough for people as they, you know, if you start in the Old Testament and you you take your time and and eventually you get to to Jesus and, and to, to the, we make this distinct, distinction between the God of the Old Testament, the God of the New Testament. Of course, we know that it's the same God, but I think it's tempting for people when they see violence, uh, when they see God's judgment, when they read about that, it's tempting to say, well, almost to, to shoo it away or to push it away or to ignore it and to say, well, that's the God of the Old Testament. What do we do with that? Uh, well, yeah, I mean, it is one God. God didn't change. The Old Testament and the New Testament um, are both God's work, and we can't throw one out to the other. We interpret all Scripture through the final revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. And so what helps us understand what is going on here in terms of God's judgment and God's love and the symbolism that is involved there is the cross of Jesus Christ, right? On the cross with his outstretched arms, the blood of Jesus, the spotless lamb, covers all of our sins. So now the Jewish people don't celebrate Passover every year, don't need to celebrate Passover. They don't need to sacrifice lamb for the atonement of their sin. Uh, Jesus is that once and all and for all sacrifice. And so we see God's will for his people that justice be satisfied and love cover all of our sin, fully revealed in Jesus Christ. But yes, we, we do see that, that this world is a violent place. And this world is a violent place because of the sin that exists in it. The sins that I commit are sin collectively, the evil that exists there. In God, who is a good God, who is just, perfectly just, and perfectly love, cannot tolerate sin. 
And so there is a response. In fact, for God not to respond would say more that God is not a just God, and we want a just God. It, it, it takes me back almost to the beginning of, you know, God, God created the world, and then he sat down and dwelled in it uh, yeah. on the, the Sabbath. And, and this story from Genesis to, to where we are now is, is this constant God not turning his back on what he has made, even though sin has entered into the world. Because God loves his creation, I think there's a, it's easy for us to sometimes slip into this idea that, that God, God's pushing away the world and he's going to pull us out of it. But really what's here is, is God coming into the world to save the people that he made in his image. To set us free. To set us free. Right. To redeem us, to save us, to set us free. Um, yeah, abso- absolutely. God is always faithful to his word. That's why we started with the covenant promise. God said he was going to do it, and now he does it. Uh, it's interesting to note, too, that um, when this sacrifice came, that the Israelites, they too were subject to God's judgment. The angel death passed over. The only thing that spared them was the blood of the lamb. It wasn't their ethnicity. Mm-hmm. It wasn't you know the fact that they were poor and other people were rich. It wasn't any of these earthly things we divide ourselves by. It was the blood of the lamb. This is the great equalizer. We all stand equal at the foot of the cross. And I think in terms of application, one of the things we, we need to understand is God is a just God, and we will all stand one day in front of this just God of judgment. There will be a judgment day. Mm-hmm. And what will stand between us? And what and will God. stand between us? Yeah. And what are you going to say to God when you get there? <laughs> oh, I don't know. I'll probably be so uh, nervous. Yeah. Well, what are we going to say? Well, Lord, I'm glad I hear, you know, I, why do you deserve to be here, Ben? Well, because, Lord, I read my Bible. Or, or I was confirmed. I prayed every day. We had a podcast where we, we had talked a podcast about your word. We are so good, Lord. <laughs> we, we've uh, done all the right things. Yeah. We were better than those people. Yeah. Lord, I deserve to be here. You know, any, any answer that we're going to have, I've heard this said before, that's in the first person. I did this. I accomplished that. It was what, you know, I, because I believed even. Mm-hmm. Nope. Uh, the only acceptable answer is going to be, I'm here because he died for me. Because the blood Because of the, the lamb. blood of the lamb covers my sin. Because Jesus said, come. And I surrendered and followed. And thank God it's not me. <laughs> thank God it's not me. And so this story reminds us that God is good and God is just. God is faithful, and God sets his people free. And we see this story completed, the full revelation of who God is in Jesus Christ. I want to go back just for a moment. Okay, I'm bringing it all the way to Jesus all the time. There's this this moment where... uh, 
right before we started reading in chapter five, where and we talked, you talked about this, how the the Israelites, they knew that that Moses, that God was going to free them, that Moses was was going to proclaim their uh, God's promises to them, but they have this moment of doubting when life gets really hard for them because of Pharaoh, they start to, to feel like, well, maybe this isn't going to happen. Um, and I wonder if sometimes I'm in that same place of, I know how this ends, but God's timing is different than my timing. And so I, I live in this, I mean, we often will use the phrase already, but not yet. I live somewhere in between uh, the full moment when God redeems the world. How do we live in that place when we're like the when we're like the like the Israelites who 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 have heard that they're they're freed, but they're not freed quite yet because the chaos is still around them. By faith, we're going to see this theme repeated when we get throughout scripture, when we get to the, the time of God's people in the Babylonian captivity and other times where they're away for decades upon decades, but God makes a promise that doesn't come from, come through even in their lifetime, right? God's timeline is not our timeline. And, you know, that is the faith question, you know, we'll trust. We want it right now. Mm-hmm. It's the world we live oh, in. I want it right now. Right now, now world. Yeah. I pray for patience every day, and I struggle with it. We want it right now, but God's timing, and, and God's time is perfect. Actually, I think one of the harder theological questions, the things I wonder about, is not so much why is there suffering in this world, because suffering in this world, I think, can be understood by God made us free. Freedom requires the capacity to choose to love or to choose not to love to be obedient or not obedient. And our disobedience has consequences, not just to ourselves, but to others. And because of that, our world is broken. And then on top of that, there's an evil one that capitalizes on that. And it results in a world of pain, destruction. But God allows it because he truly values our freedom to choose to be in a love relationship with him and a right relationship with him. I I can sort of, in my limited capacity, get my head around that. The harder theological question is how long? Mm-hmm. The psalmist question, how yeah. long, how long Lord, Lord? How long, Lord, will I, will this pain be here? Will this suffering be here? Just to understand God's timeline. Why haven't you come back, Lord? Mm-hmm. We're waiting. Jesus, I'm ready. Mm-hmm. Come again. Mm-hmm. We're waiting. Mm-hmm. But we wait and we trust exercise our faith in that that is a theme that rolls through all of scripture some of the last words of revelation are come Lord Jesus amen well we could probably spend days upon weeks uh, looking through the plagues and uh, through uh, we just scratched the surface of scholarly (laughs) research and talk on this one it's a fascinating it is history it is and we're so we're going to continue this story and next time we're going to see how the israelites do once they are freed 
And once they are then wandering in the wilderness, are they going to continue to worship their God, or are they going to turn their back on God? It's all all great, and there's no problems. Uh I think that's what happens. Yeah. There's a caribou around every mountain. Yeah. (laughs) Uh, There's no shortage of of coffee and Maybe not coffee, but there's manna. Maybe they wouldn't have complained if there was manna with coffee. There you go. You think then it would have been different? Probably not, huh? I don't know. Ben would have been happy. (laughs) I would have been happy. Yes. We'll continue that story next week. So come back and join us. Uh, Thank you, Paul. Thank you to our listeners. We're so glad that you are journeying through Scripture with us. And remember to stay deeply rooted.